Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, my hometown, the greatest city in the world. This is the conversation. Welcome back on an extremely frigid, record-breaking night here in New York City and across most of the country as we try to get through this uh, this next week or so. It looks like the weather might get a little better. Um, maybe we'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. March will come, bring some better weather, and we'll all feel a lot better off about being outside, playing some golf, and getting some baseball done. Before we get to my great guest, I uh, just wanted to make a couple of comments about some things I see in the Twitter sphere which I'm trying to really do a lot less of because uh, I can only imagine what it does to my players. If it makes me angry, what it must do to my players. And we are so inundated in this day and age with information, and that's great. But there's a flip side to that coin. And the flip side is that you pay a price. And the price is you don't know what to listen to. I'm convinced that if you spend any time on Twitter, you really need to be in the gym lifting weights or doing some sophisticated form of training for about 14 hours a day. The other three hours a day you need to work on mental training. Uh, that's 17 hours. And you shouldn't sleep at all. You have to just constantly be working. I actually saw someone who has some pedigree. Well, he has some anointed pedigree who said that we now have to redefine what a well-hit ball is. That's how sophisticated our hitting training has become. Really? I have to tell you this. If you can't recognize what a well-hit ball is, you're in the wrong business and you should be doing something else. And I also started to think what kind of pressure that puts on my players, that there's some kind of well-hit ball standard so that if you hit a double off the right center field wall and it's not hit at the right launch angle or at the right height, you've actually failed. This is a very, very difficult game that our kids play. Really difficult. And it's difficult to be good at anything, let alone be good at hitting. The reality is players already have the answer. They don't need me or anyone else on Twitter telling them what the answer is. They need to find it because when they find it and discover it, they own it. And when you own it, you bring to the plate a knowledge not just a confidence, but a knowledge that you can hit, a knowledge that you can do what it is you're trying to do as you aspire to go higher and higher in the game. And what that does is when you fail, you don't go back feeling like you have a broken swing or you're a broken player. The reason why you don't get a hit every time up is because it's hard to hit. It's actually easy to hit. It's hard to hit a pitcher who's trying to get you out. Anybody can hit when they're throwing BP or throwing you soft toss or you're in a cage, then hitting is not difficult. Hitting only becomes difficult when you have an adversary on the mound who's trying to get you out. And the reasons for you not getting hits far down on the list is the quality of your swing on a day-to-day basis. Your approach, whether or not you're hitting strikes, and a lot of other factors. The fact that there's nine guys out there trying to feel the ball have a lot to do with your success and failure. So to all my players out there, spend less time on Twitter, You don't need to listen to me or anybody else. You already got this. Just go ahead, work, feel, discover, and own your game. There we go. Miles, how was that? All right, good. I get a nod from a guy who tried to feed a shark and got his hand almost bit off. Well, what are you going to do? My guest, uh, newly minted New York Yankee farmhand, uh, two-year player in Harwich, gave us fits in the the Cape Cod League, Northeastern graduate, so he's got to be a really smart guy, right, Miles? Northeastern, fancy school. Great kid, a lot of perspective in some of our pre-production work. We chatted a little bit and he has some great ideas and I'm really 
Thrilled to have him aboard as he readies himself for spring training, which will be his first spring training. Max Burt. Max, how are you? Hey, Tommy. How you doing? You hear the crowd? Crowd cheering yeah, for you? You hear that? It's all crazy. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> we, take, we take care of our guys, man. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great, thank you. I'm doing, I'm doing very good right now. Well, you Happy know, to be on, man. Happy to be on. Well, we, I, the people. You were one of uh, you were one of the guys that I knew I had to get on, and uh, in the interest of full disclosure, you're a good friend of one of my favorite people in the whole world, a guy who would be on my baseball Mount Rushmore, Mickey Gasper, and uh, good people beget good people, and that's no exception here. Thank you. So, in talking to you, uh, a couple of things really stood out to me. Um, first of all, what I love to hear from guys um, your age, your place in the game, is how you got to where you are. Basically, how you got to Northeastern, from there, it's to Harwich, and then it's into Pro Bowl. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Cool, yeah. So um, I went to, I grew up in North Hanover, Massachusetts, went to St. John's Prep, all boys school in uh, Danvers, and um, very talented sports school. Played, um, I played basketball all four years, obviously baseball all four years, and I actually played golf my final two years at St. John's. Yeah, I mean, crazy path. I mean, I came in. As a freshman at 5'2", buck 20 soaking wet, probably a little kid, um, haven't really grown, didn't hit my growth spurt, but was always a, but was always a good athlete. So I, I, I ended up making JV basketball my freshman year, and then I played freshman baseball. Great, great story here. You know, baseball-wise, um, I, I was a little kid. I was a backup second baseman on the freshman team. Backup second baseman <laughs> on the freshman team my freshman year. Our varsity and JV teams were stacked each year with you know guys going to division one colleges and a couple guys actually getting drafted uh throughout college but anyway kind of struggled that first year and then towards the end of the year kind of you know started to pick up my game and ended up winning the job and became like the starting second baseman but i always knew i was going to play shortstop i knew i was going to hit my growth spurt and i knew i was good enough to play shortstop at the highest level fast forward to sophomore year made jv and then was a starting shortstop every day on jv as well that was a pretty good year um just got, got my feet yet, you know, playing every day, being that guy at shortstop. And that was just a big, big year for me growing. I grew a couple inches, so I was becoming more mature. I was getting bigger, stronger, and became a better hitter as well. And then junior year, this is, this is where the story gets good, my junior year. So my junior year, I made varsity, and I played – so 20-game season in Massachusetts. Yeah, mm-hmm. I played in nine games at shortstop. And I got DH'd for in the nine games that I played. Now, granted, I, was, I would get in late some games to hit because we'd kill every team because our team was stacked that year with, I think, eight Division One commits or something like that. Um, so I got DH'd for and I played shortstop because one of our pitchers who played short was going to Bryant College, who later got drafted by the Pirates, Brandon Bingle. He, he pitched, and then when he pitched, he hit, which not many kids did. So, right. um, And then they ended up DH'ing a kid for me that season so that was a tough year for me you know kind of seeing you know seeing like wow like obviously these people don't believe me look at i'm not even hitting right now i'm just playing the field um you know defense is always something i pride, I pride myself on something that always you know got me to play i never you know defense is something that you know i look at even today is you know the reason why I'm, i am where i am you know being sure. able to play all positions on the infield but um anyway tough tough year for me but i knew I knew and I had a conversation with, with my dad. He said, listen, if you if you can't play at St. John's Prep, then you can't play Division One baseball and you definitely can't play professional baseball. So it's kind of a high school where you have to wait wait your turn. I waited a little bit longer for my turn, but um, 
had a had a nice junior summer, and then came back my senior year was uh, was all 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 league shortstop, um, hit like three thirty, uh, and now you're probably asking, all right, well now what what colleges are are, are you going to? Or what colleges are you seeing? You know, I wasn't I wasn't really recruited. It was it was Division threes like Bates, sure. um, and then some D twos like Saint Saint A's and all, and all those kind of mm-hmm. uh, schools mm-hmm. in the, in the NE10. So I was like, you know what? I'm young. On August 20th birthday, I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a post grad year. And now throughout this process, you know, I I always knew I could be a Division one baseball player, and I and I actually talked with Coach Lavin at Northeastern, and um, he basically told me he's like, hey, like we don't have any scholarship for you this year. Um, blah blah blah. blah. That's so Mike. Guard, that's Mike Glavin, brother, brother of Tom Glavin, Hall of Fame, uh, left-handed pitcher. Correct. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I applied to two prep schools. So while all my friends are going to colleges, I applied to two prep schools: uh, Phillips Sandover and Phillips Exeter, both the two top prep schools probably in the world, I would say. And I was going there to play both basketball and baseball because I was still getting recruited with basketball a little bit too. And the day comes where I find out, you know, I was told number one recruit in both sports there, you'll be all set. I got waitlisted at both schools. <laughs> so now now I'm in panic mode with my parents. You know, I have nowhere to go. I'm crossing graduation now. Fast forward to the spring of my senior year. I don't know where I'm going to school. I didn't apply to any colleges. I just applied to these two prep schools. So, so you're in no man's land at this point. I'm in no man's land. So then I applied to three other prep schools like Wilson, Northampton, Salisbury, and Avon Old Farms. And I visited Avon Old Farms and loved it. And I'm like, you know what? This is This is it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit here. I'm gonna go here, and then have another big summer after my senior year, and hopefully get recruited to go to a school like Northeastern or like BC. And um, I was gonna, you know, I heard you talking about Twitter, and it's funny. So I was gonna post on Twitter and say, "Hey, listen, I'm going. So thankful I'm going to Avon Old Farms." And my dad said, "You know, just wait, wait another day. You're going to watch Northeastern play on Friday." So I ended up. Um, going to going to the Northeastern game, talking to Coach Glavin after the game, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to Avon Old Farms. He goes, all right, can I talk to you real quick? So he talks me off to the side, and he's like, hey, what would your thoughts on what would your thoughts be on coming next year to Northeastern? And I'm like, I mean, like I said before, Coach, you know, I'm I feel like I'm a scholarship player. I'm going to I'm going to stick stick to my guns and um, you know go to this prep school and try and come and try and come up and maybe get a scholarship following year he's like okay i respect that uh but i want to meet with you and your parents so i ended up meeting with him probably that next week sometime during that next week at a starbucks long story short he basically said you know we have some guys that are going to get drafted scholarships can open up we really we really like you as a player and we can see you coming in right away playing you know first step right off the bat i i left that starbucks and i'm like dad i'm going to the rest of these things i'm going He's like, all right, wait, sleep on it, and then we'll text him tomorrow. So I ended up sleeping on it, woke up feeling the same way, called Coach Cloud when I got up to the coach and going to Northeastern. He was pumped to have me, and then ended up going to Northeastern and uh, starting every game. Uh, only player in school history to start over 200 games and get over 200 hits. So um, pretty pretty cool, pretty cool, uh, or different way to get there to the Division One level but um pretty interesting way so but also a a very self um self-motivated way you you you, although you mention your parents you mention your father seems to me like you were either a very headstrong kid or an anomaly in the 21st century you were someone who 
uh, your parents invested enough trust in that you were going to make this mm -hmm. decision that was best for you. And they were allowing you to do that. And there's a big decision. Correct. And you really didn't have a lot of leverage. You know, you, you were a good player, but like a lot of good players, you didn't find yourself in a circumstance where you had lots of leverage, but you believed in yourself. Correct. And that's something that I've been, that I've had throughout my whole life. I think my parents did a great job instilling this in me. And, and that was always believing myself. I always, you know, I, I step on a field today and you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the best player in the field. I, I don't care if there's a first round pick, if there's a, if there's a top prospect, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm stepping on this field and I'm, and I'm the best player. And that's kind of how I felt throughout all that, that, that whole process, you know? Yeah. I wasn't getting recruited, but I'm like, you know, this, this is, this is going to work out. I know, I know how good I am. I know how good I can be. And you know, all it takes is one college coach like you. And then like in pro ball, all it takes is one team to like you. And, um, luckily, uh, I'm in a great position right now, but yeah, I'm, I'm a person, you know, I, I strongly believe in myself, you know, I have a lot of confidence. Um, and it's not like overconfidence. I'm not cocky in a way, but sometimes it might come off that, but I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that, you know, I'm confident in my abilities. You know, I have passion for the game. Um, and you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. So I knew I, you know, a scout once told me, he goes, you know, you look at these guys that want to play in the big leagues and you ask them what their plan B is. And the answer should be, I don't, you know, I don't have a plan B for a guy that wants to play in the big leagues. Listen, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. This is what I want my career to be. And kind of that's something I did. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited in my position that I'm in right now. So, so, um, yeah. So I find that fascinating because here's what I see. And I'm doing this a long time. Um, and I'm a huge player advocate. And you know, for me, it's always, it always begins and ends with the players. And I really don't, <laughs> I really don't care about anybody else. I mean, I'm in the player yeah. business. Um, I contend, uh, because I'm, I'm a keen observer of people, it's what I do. I pay attention. That's what coaching really is. You got to pay attention because you got to mm -hmm. notice if something is off with one of your players or if one of your players is struggling and you, you want to help them. You want to get them to where it is, wherever it is that they want to go. Um, and over the last few years, I've noticed that I believe that we have these magnificent athletes, uh, you know, players that never looked better, never been fitter, never had more care, never had more attention paid to them, never had more resources available to them. But, and this mm -hmm. is a big but, I believe the modern day player has never had lower self-esteem. I have never seen more self-talk and I've never seen more uh, players convinced that they're broken. And, and, and there's a reason I believe for that. It's because we keep telling them they're broken. You know, when you constantly instruct, mm -hmm. hover over and, um, you know, micromanage every move a player ever makes. And I believe that's the definition of the college. The modern college game is essentially just that. There Correct. are 4,000 signs. What you're really relaying to your players is, I don't trust that you're good enough to do this. So kids mm -hmm. are kids are great, you know, at <laughs> they're, 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 they're great pleasers. So they're going to buy in and they are buying yeah. in hook, line and sinker to, hey, if somebody doesn't tell me what pitch to call, if somebody doesn't tell me how to hit every single at bat, uh, I can't possibly get a hit. So I see in you, and 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 I, you know, I saw you for two years. You know, we played against you, uh, and I and I saw your enthusiasm and and your 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 lust for the game. Um, and I see that in some other guys, but what I don't see is what I'm hearing from you is that self assuredness. And and to me, confidence is like a, a, a I don't know. Sometimes I I get off the word confidence, and I I believe it's a knowledge. You know, you're a good player. You know, you're a very good player. Mm -hmm. Um. And I don't think that after you ground that second base your first time up, you're worried about whether or not your swing is broken and you've got to fix it before the next at-bat. But yet, you know, and I know, 
that there is a lot of that in the modern game. Speak to that difference oh, yeah. between you and some other guys and, and, and how that feels as a young player to be amongst that. Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying to you right now if I didn't tell you, you know, growing up, if, if I didn't get a hit, I would seem like I'm a failure. You know, I, 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 I feel like every baseball player has felt that in a way. Absolutely, now, I think, sure. I think what you're saying here, I think, too, that is, that is a testament to, you know, growing up and maturing in baseball and realizing, you know, you have these kids that are, I don't want to say young and dumb, but these kids that just like, they just play baseball and they want to do well and they want to, you know, it's always like wanting to do the next thing and be recruited by the next guy and get drafted by this team. And and they lose focus and they're not living in the moment right now. Right. And they're never in the now. They're never in the now. They're, they're never in the now. It's always, you know, you know, I'm doing this to, you know, hit this and like and it's always thinking ahead, thinking, you know, so true. All right, next year, you know, worrying about other people. No. And again, I I had to get through that stage in my life. At at times I did I did do that and I was worrying about things I couldn't control. And it wasn't even until college where, you know, I started to like see myself, you know, kind of growing up, maturing, realizing like, all right, I can, I can do this thing. I can play with the best, obviously in the Cape, you know, that tests you better than any league probably ever. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, have a couple good games down there. You're like, you know what? I can play with these guys, you know? And, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think that, you know, everybody has their, including myself, everybody has their, you know, their hitting instructor, they have a fielding instructor, they have all these instructors, you know, tell them different things. And they have a college coach that's playing, that's, you know, coaching them and telling them to do this, telling them to do that. And then at the end of the day, when the umpire says play, everything's out of the question. And you're on you your own. You're playing. Right. And you're on your own. That's right. And um, nobody cares who, who, who you hit with. That's right. And you hit 10 balls, you know, really hard on this day. Nobody cares about that. Now it's about the game and who's going to be a gamer. And I think we're losing some of that in the game right now. I think we're losing. We're we're caring too much about these, about what's next. And like I did this or I hit this exit speed, and we're losing the gamers. And um, you know, I think I think that's I think that's one thing too that um, you know has got me to where I am. And that's and that's the fact where you know I do all my work in the off season. I do my work in preparation that once that game starts it's like no i'm a gamer i'm grinding this is this is what i'm doing you know so i take a bad swing and i'm running i'm running my ass down that line as fast as i can yeah it's very it's a very interesting topic especially in our sport where it's very in, it's individualized yes and you're a part of a team as well so yeah i i speak to this this is an observation and i'd, I'd love to hear it from you and the reason why i love doing this show and, and and most of my show is devoted to players because i really believe that players have such a valuable voice and it's one we never listen to and and what what i try to do and the 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 the, the genesis of this show the conversation is i started to think what what have i been doing all these years in in this game is basically having a conversation with my players you know and mm-hmm. after 2017 when we won i kind of sat down with jason Kanzler. i said you know we had a season-long conversation. It was really cool, man. We got a lot out of it. Our players got a lot out of it. That's really what it is. And what I see, here's what I'm starting to, I'm not starting to see, but I'm seeing this. I mean, if you put, you know, you go on Twitter, man, you could really go nuts because everybody's an instant. Oh, yeah. all, you, all you need is a computer and you're an expert. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, what I'm seeing is players are identifying themselves more than ever by something they can do one time. For instance, velocity. 
right? If you yeah. could hit 94 once, that's now how you identify yourself. Exit velocity. Mm-hmm. If you could get 110 exit velocity, you now carry that around like it's your carrying card. No one asks how often are you hitting the ball, which kind of yeah. is an integral part of playing the game. And we're also starting to watch the game from the indoor cages out rather than from the dugout out. And from the dugout out is a very different perspective because as a manager or a coach, I don't care how hard you hit the ball. I just care if you get a hit. I just care if you get on yeah. base. I care if you can make that play two steps to your left with second and third and two outs. I really don't care about mm-hmm. the route you take, the lane, whether or not it's your right foot in front of your left, your left foot. I don't care if you catch it in your face. It doesn't matter to me. Can you make the play? That is now taking a back seat to the manner in which you're doing something. And hopefully, if you do it one time, you could wear that on your sleeve like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Um, and I think you're true. I, I, I think I think that's the truth right now in the game. However, you have these, you know, people that can say these things and they hit the ball this hard. And they hit, you know, 15 home runs in batting practice. And then you get in the game and they're like, what the hell's going on? Right. You know, like, <laughs> you know, so or like, you know, I I hit great in the winter. And now I think, you know, at first at first, these people that hit the ball hard, they throw hard you know, they're looked at these high prospects and they're not even prospects. Like they're highly toted. They, everybody's talking about him. Oh, he can do this. He can do that. And then we're losing, we're losing, you know, that, that kid that kind of flies under the radar, you know, he's, 87, 89, but hits his corners and can pitch. You know what I mean? He can get out. He can get out. Yes, exactly. And I think that's, I, I think that's, I think that's actually changing in baseball, especially at the professional level. I think that, you know, they care too much about, um, you know, guys that are throwing 95 that don't know where it's going. Now, I listen, I agree. I, I don't think you can teach 95. No, you I think, can. Yes, you, you have can. to. You, you have to draft those kids. You have to pick up these kids that throw this hard. Right. However, I think that these guys, these gamers that kind of fly under the radar that can pitch or can play the game are, you know, going to the back burner. and. I just think that's I just think that's the game. And at the end of the day, though, at the end of the day, if a coach wants to win the game or a team needs a win, they're going to put the best nine guys that can play in the game. So yes, these guys are the top top or high prospects. Yes, are the, these guys that are highly toted. But at the end of the day, and I truly believe this still still to this day, if somebody needs to win a game, they're putting their best nine out there that can play baseball. And um, you know, that's just, that's just my thought on it. And Max, um, you know, what's the best thing that, you know, it's the best example of that, my friend, the world series, yeah. the world series, everybody loves yeah. their, everybody loves their bullpen until the world series comes. Then you know what they do? They take their starters and put them in the bullpen. If your it's bullpen true. is that good, no, you, and the reason exactly. is because now you're desperate in June, yeah. on June 11th, when you're playing another, and there are a lot of bad teams in baseball, there are, there are a lot of really mm-hmm. weak teams in baseball. You know, bullpens are completely overrated and there are some really weak teams. So you know what? You could get away with it. But boy, when the games count and the finish line is in front of you, you want Verlander on the mound throwing nine innings. You don't want him throwing five. You don't care if he goes four times through the lineup because he's your best bet no matter what when the chips are down. 
The Houston Astros, Fair they can point. pat themselves on the back all they like, and they do a great job, that organization. But the reality is you have four great players, okay, which no team has four great players, and you got Justin Verlander at the break. And if you didn't get him, you still needed him. You were nine innings away from not going to that World Series when you played the Yankees in Game 7. So even with all of your know-how, you still needed a good old-fashioned horse, and you have four or five great players. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's point. a great point that you make, and you really do see that when when your bacon is on the line, all of a sudden you're throwing that binder to the side, and you're saying, "Let's get our pitch, let's get our best pitchers out into the bullpen and put yep. our absolute best players on the field for as long as we could possibly have them." You you true. touched on something that has been. Um, Something that I love to bring up, I do a lot of speaking with parents and kids and, you know, worried about where to go to college and what their son's future is in the game and just a whole bunch of stuff. And one of the things I tell people is this, look, first of all, every kid, if you're right-handed, every kid should catch. Why? There are no catchers. And every team needs two or three. So the catcher, with all due respect there are a lot of bad baseball players who are spending 12 years in the major leagues because they can catch. Who, if they couldn't catch, yeah. couldn't play in high A ball. Okay, but mm -hmm. it's a unique position. It's the only position where it doesn't matter if you're too small or you're too slow. If you can get behind the plate, receive, block, throw the ball pretty well, and hit about 214, you could spend an awful long time in professional baseball. Now, forget about professional yeah. baseball. You become a much more valuable player in your, on your high school team, if you could put on the equipment and get behind the plate. So position means a great deal. And I see a lot of kids who at 12 years old tell me they're a left fielder. So what I tell them is the closer you are to the foul lines, the closer you are to the dugout and on the bench. Because the okay. good short, if I have two good shortstops, one's going to go to the outfield. One might go to second base. If I have a really good second baseman, that kid's going to go to third base. So when yeah. you touched upon your defense... Here, you're a young guy, and you live, let's face it, in the epicenter of power and hitting is everything. When you hear about the Hall of Fame, you don't even hear guys talk about defense, right? I am yeah. a huge, I, I believe defense is almost, to me, defense is your best pitcher. If you can shrink the field, you're going to make, you're going to get a lot of wins. You're not going to have to have great pitching or power. If you could play defense, it never slumps, it never takes a day off. You shrink that field and you're catching everything, it's going to be very hard to lose ball games. Talk to me how, in a world where nobody really cares, and they don't, and this is not an overreaction, I'm, nobody cares about defense. You never hear talk of defense. You became hooked on what I consider one of the secrets of the game, which is if you could play the field, they're not going to take you out of the lineup. How did that happen yeah. for you? So, you know, um, growing up as a kid, I was obviously a huge Red Sox fan. You're off in the Boston area. And, um, Nomar was my guy and I would always in the, in the family room and my dad would be like rolling me this little ball or whatever. And I'd be diving across the family room saying like, no more play, no more play or whatever. And, you know, it was something, you know, I always had a ball in my hand. It was like ball in hand. And it's funny. I'm thinking that I'm thinking about that, you know, when I was, you know, five years old and now how that's coming back into the game now, how, you know, catching the ball is the most important thing in baseball. It just gets overlooked, catching the baseball. Absolutely. And, you know, that is something, you know, throughout, you know, I was always a little kid, never had a lot of power, never, never honestly growing up was a great hitter, but could play defense, was an athlete, had great hand-eye coordination. And, um, you know, something that I 
that I always worked on on the side. It was something that, you know, see right now, you know, kids are just hitting and they're just working on hitting. And then it's like, all right, well, where does he play? All right, well, now, wait, we have five DHs on our team. These kids can't play every day. Right. And, you know, you see it, you see it, you know, you saw it with the Red Sox this past year. You know, guys like Brock Holt that can play all these crazy different positions on the field and Love he's playing guy. every day. Yep, yep. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's growing in the game. I think, I think this is something where they, where it's growing and teams saw the Red Sox do this and now a utility guy or a utility infielder is valuable because, you know, and, and then God forbid you can hit as a utility infielder, as yeah. a great fielder, and then you can hit then it's a no-brainer. You're playing every day because you can play shortstop for 20 games. You can play third base. You can play first base. You can play second base. You can play everywhere. And if you're a good infielder, and I'm a, and I can att- and I just strongly believe this. I think if you're a good infielder, if you're a very good infielder, you can play the outfield too. No doubt so about it. I think that, no doubt about it. Uh, Derek Cheetah yeah, would have been a great would have been a great center fielder. There's no question about exactly. it. Exactly. So no doubt. I just think I just think I just think it's something that I took pride in and. Um, it's something that I always cared about. I never, I never overlooked defense. You know, I always, and maybe that was because I, you know, I wasn't a great hitter. Who knows if I was, you know, a great hitter as a little kid, who knows if I would have, you know, focused that much on, um, infield, but knowing what I know and how, even if I was, you know, a good hitter, I would have still done the same thing I've done or the same thing that I did, I should say. And, um, you know, doing fielding every day, doing these little games, you know, with my dad growing up where he'd throw me the ball, I'd catch it. You know, it's all these little things that, you start when you're a little kid, and then, you know, as you go up through middle school and then high school, you just keep on working on these things and just t- take pride, take pride in defense. Be a great fielder. Don't just be a, don't just be a blah on the field. Be like, yeah, whatever. I'm on the field. I just want to go hit bombs. You know, no. Yeah. <laughs> be like, in, be into the game. Be a great fielder. Be passionate, and good things are gonna happen. That's so. great. That's a great perspective. It really is. You're listening to the conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. So, answer me this. You go from one day being an amateur player, right? You're an amateur. You're at Northeastern. It's over. You're right. hey, you're hugging your guys after the last game or whatever. Draft comes, and now you're a professional. So it's really one day you're a guy who has no professional experience, and the next, ostensibly, you got to go away yeah. and start. You know, wherever it is, a short season A ball or a rookie ball or whatever it might be. Tell me what the differences were that you a were surprised by were so difficult and B were surprised that they weren't that difficult. Um, you know what? I think that, you know, obviously like getting drafted is such, is such an accomplishment. And, um, you know, I'll say this, I talked to, I talked to something and they said, you know, there's, there's, there's three types of players in pro ball. 
there's guys that, you know, want to get drafted and say they get drafted and they just take that with them. Right. There's guys that want to play pro ball. They play pro ball for a few years and they could say their whole life they played pro ball. And then the third is the guys that want to play in the big leagues. And, you know, I can say you can you can see these people right off the bat. I mean, you go to the ballpark, you can tell, all right, this kid wants to play in the big leagues, this kid doesn't. And um, I think the biggest thing for me was just kind of, I mean, I know this sounds cliche, but kind of just slowing the game down, letting the game come to me. I mean, honestly, obviously playing in the Cape, which is the best Cape League in the, I mean, the best um, college baseball league in the country. On the planet. Playing there yeah. for two summers, that, you know, that set me, that set me up for, you know, professional baseball in and in itself, you know, as far as, you know, the speed of the game. Yes, yep. you know, some some of these pitches are throwing harder. And obviously, as you go up levels, kids are faster, kids are stronger, kids are better. But, I mean, it's nothing I wasn't, nothing I wasn't expecting. It wasn't like these all these kids were throwing 100 miles an hour, something right. I've never seen before. All these pitchers, now I've saw, I've seen great Friday night guys that could maybe be pitching in low A ball. Yep. So, um, yeah, I don't, I didn't see anything surprising. I mean, obviously the, I, I think something that hit me harder than I think it was that I thought it was going to be, was going to be just being, being on my own, being, not being a part of a team anymore. This isn't, you know, being in professional baseball, it's all about development and developing your skills and developing right. other kids' skills to play in the big leagues. That's what everybody wants to do. And, you know, some people lose focus of, you know, the team aspect and, you know, they say that to you right off the bat, you know, the most important thing is to develop you and get you to the big leagues. That is the most important thing. And I respected that so much because this, this is all I've ever wanted to do. And if I have the, all these coaches and people behind me in my corner that want the best for me and give me the big leagues, then I can't ask for anything other than that. Right. But yeah, I would say, you know, being, being on your own, you know, not obviously I live with Mickey Gasser, which was, unbelievable obviously friends before going into the draft and then you know live with each other literally every day this past summer was uh incredible but um you know being being on your own kind of you know when i'm playing in the middle of nowhere virginia and i was three for my last 40 it can get lonely where i'm not going back to my dorm room with my buddies hanging out yep it's a different it's a different animal and you know i've told this to different people is if you don't love the game of baseball, if you don't have passion for the game of baseball in the minor leagues, you will never make it. It'll no. never last. It'll never last. No. It will weed the game will weed you out. The game to the phrase I always use, the game always knows. The game knows. This is why our game is the best game ever. You know, it always knows. If you're not if you're not all the way in it, the game knows and it will weed you out very quickly. Yeah, and it's a game so, of attri- it's a game of attrition. The system is set up to have attrition to to weed yeah. out guys who don't have the makeup. You know, you'd better be you'd better have Bo Jackson's ability if you don't really love it. And that's not a lot of guys yeah. that have that kind of ability. You spoke about or earlier. We talked um, about uh, something I thought was a really mature response to a question I had, and you said you wanted to talk about how the game has changed. Now, the reason I thought that was interesting is that. You know, you're young, so you haven't been around as long. I mean, obviously. Um, and to hear you say, I want to talk about how the game has changed for the better and maybe not so much for the better, I found that really intriguing. So expand on that. I'm really eager to hear what that's all about. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I think baseball, I think it's going to a bad place. I personally think baseball, as far as from a media standpoint and fans, I think it's going to a great place. I mean, you see guys like, you know, Bregman who are, 
you know, building, building his own brand. He has a YouTube channel. He's like big on social media. Like he's, he's bringing another spectrum into the sport of baseball that mm-hmm. maybe we never thought would. I think that, uh, you know, this, this, this game of baseball, you know, we're seeing all this, all these technology things that are coming out. And yes, to be honest, I love them. I, I, I love a lot of them. I don't like some of them, but I love, you know, all these new, you know, mechanics for hitting. And some people, some people are against it, you know, because some of these guys that are teaching it have never played an ounce of baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think there's pros and cons to that. Um, that's why I think I personally, my um, hitting guy that I go to who actually just got the hitting coordinator job with the Minnesota Twins, Peter Fasty, mm-hmm. um, he, he, he's so great because not only is he so knowledgeable about the mechanics of hitting, but he played professional baseball and he knows how to explain it and he's been through it. Right. Um, so I think that's, I think that's one thing that's tough. People are absolutely buying in to the hitting coaches and all these people and they haven't played, they haven't played baseball. They've never seen a nine on our fastball with cut or sink. Right. So it's, it's like a little tough. Like, yeah, you can look like a stud in the cage. And then all of a sudden you get out in front of the crowd, lights are on. And you just go back to the old, to the old uh, mechanics. So, right. um, you know, I think that, you know, as far as, you know, you know, we're seeing this tech, I, I think technology can be great. You know, as far as for some pitchers, you see, you see guys like looking at, you know, finger pressure on the ball and where I can put it. I mean, it's crazy to think that this game is going where it's going. And I think that's great because it's making these pitchers, um, it's making, it's great for some people because it's, because people, because people can handle it and um you know learn from it and then it's not great for other kids that think they love it and think they can handle it and all of a sudden they're throwing a bullpen pitch and then looking back at the rap soda or something and yeah, yeah. changing your finger or changing something on the ball and that now they're now they're you know micromanaging themselves as i use that word again like you said they become so slaves they become to- slaves to the technology the the, t- the the technology starts to own them instead of them owning the technology exactly so i think Overall, I think that the technology can be very good for the game. I think that if you use it the right way, it can be very good. But if you overuse this technology, you can start overthinking. And overthinking is the biggest problem in our game. You know, if you overthink anything in baseball, it's going to come back to bite you in the butt. So I think the technology in this game is going to make, first of all, it's going to make pitchers so much better that love it. It's going to make hitters better because, you know, they're seeing, they're swinging different angles they've never seen before. Um, but I think it can be bad when people start overusing it, overusing this technology, but then they lose focus. And they're like, and, and then we're losing these, these gamers per se, like I was talking about, we're losing right. these people that forget about the technology, we're losing that old school baseball that everybody loves to watch. Right. And um, also if you, if it be, if you take it, you extrapolate it to its most ridiculous, let's say outcome. You know, if you have a blackout, your players, if you have a power outage, your players won't be able to play because they can't go back into the clubhouse and take a look at their last swing or take a look at the rap soda yeah. or take a look at their, their heat analysis or some. I mean, yeah. at some point, you know, yes, might this all be really good? There has to be some test and evaluation as to what the net benefit is of so much um, attention and resources going into hook, line, and sinker requiring guys to become disciples. Um, yeah. And I just look to a place like the Dominican Republic where 
it just seems like a lot of these guys play baseball. They, they, and, and, yeah. and I love technology. I do. And I love information. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to know, but I don't want the information to enslave me. I don't want to not, yeah. you know, say, Hey, today, tonight's a night, you know, Max is going to, I don't care that he's two for 10 against this guy in the, you know, on odd number days yeah. during the day, exactly. you can really start to get to a point where you, you know, you reach a point of diminishing return and then you're force feeding this information to guys exactly. and you lose the feel and you lose those, as you put it, those gamers. Um, yeah, so, so I think, I mean, as on that technology topic, you know, I think that, I think that's where can, this, this technology can start to hurt the players. You know, somehow, you know, it's all about how you use this technology. I think if you use it in a mature and professional manner by yourself or with the team working on some certain things and not are and not overuse it like exactly like like you said, using this technology for yeah, he is he is actually um two for his last thirteen when he faces a bullpen righty <laughs> with that throws under forty five degrees. And during yeah. the day, Come like on. like yeah. that's that's where this team could potentially be, and then then we lose, then we lose. No, no, no. What, what are you talking about? I'm three for three today. I'm seeing the ball. Right. So you would pinch last. hit. You would pinch hit for Joe DiMaggio. You you would you wouldn't start Joe DiMaggio during his 56 game hitting streak because he's facing a guy he's two for ten against, and we have another guy exactly. who was three for exactly. four. So Joe, you have to sit out. That that is the logic, Indeed. and there are guys yeah, who yeah, would argue. There are guys who would argue, yes, that's right. Mm, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'd rather have Joe DiMaggio up. I don't care what the situation is. I'd rather have Tony Gwynn up, no matter what he is against the guy, than some exactly. journeyman guy who's two for three against. I'm sorry. Exactly. Um, See, the one, thing that, the one thing that really makes me mad, I mean, this is kind of similar to this topic, is the matchups, pitching the matchups. And I think, honestly, matchups are only a serious, real thing, I think, in the big leagues. I think when you have guys like, you know, let's say, um, who is great against right-handed? Uh, give me a pitcher that's unbelievable against right-handed hitters, or maybe you want to pinch it. Like what Cora does in the big leagues. Okay, yes. Yeah, see, that is that is when matchups matter. Guys are much better against right-handed hit- pitchers, or right. guys are much better against left-handed pitchers. Right. But it really, I I just can't stand when these. High school coaches and college coaches right. trying to overcoach right. pinch hit for a, for a, their best lefty hitter because they want to get a good righty hitter off the bench. A matchup doesn't matter until the big league. Honestly, I'm a big believer in that. And I agree. Um, you know, I and think, and there's a reason. There's you know, a there's a logical reason for it, Max. It's because at only at the big league level is everyone essentially the same. The differences yeah. are very small. Every guy is at the top of his game. You're not going to get huge mismatches in ability. In college, you're going to get huge mismatches in ability. And in high school, all it is is one big mismatch because you don't have the same maturity. You could have a kid who's yeah. 14 who barely got through puberty right, playing against the guy who's 18. That's a gigantic yeah. difference. You're not going to mix and match in situations like that. You're going to let your best kid who throws the hardest go out and pitch seven innings and strike out 17 guys. That's because yeah. that's going to happen. But what you what you yeah. now have is I see people, yeah, yeah, my kid, 13, he's training and training. You look at how much bigger he got. Yeah, that's called puberty. 
He went through puberty. Of course, he's going to get bigger yeah. and he's going to get stronger. He doesn't need to be training yeah. the way Max Burt and Mickey Gasper do, who are adults yeah. playing professional baseball. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be a That's drag true. if you're a kid. It really does. If you're a kid, all, you don't want to do all that. You just want to play. You don't really yeah. want to. I mean, you know, the thing is, yeah, I think the problem is, too, I think another problem is, is, you know, we're seeing too many people, you know, because right now, you know, you're seeing guys like myself, guys that are, you know, that are that are in our own craft that we're playing or really working on our own thing. And now you're seeing kids at age 12 that stop doing everything else and just work on hitting and work on right. baseball. That's right. Where no, 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 I'm I'm in the spot where I'm at now because I played basketball, I played golf, like I I had a life. I I did I did other things that shaped me to who I am today. If I who knows if I if I did baseball 24 seven from 12 years old. Who knows? I might hate the sport at Correct. 20 years Correct. old and want nothing to do with it. And you would certainly hate it so, if you did it all day long and your father and your instructor were there with you. It's a drag. People don't realize yeah. when you're a kid, you don't want to hang out with adults. You really don't. You want yeah. to play with your friends. Good point. Good point. You know, you want to make up your own rules and, you know, make second base. You, know, you only have five guys. So we're going to have a game. Yeah. You can't hit the ball to the right side or whatever. That's how you invent, yeah. improvise, and you you know you tap into the part of your gra- of your brain that really makes you grow, yeah, and develop. And I think you know just kind of closing off that game changing. I think the technology. I think overall, like overall, all my statements. You know, I've been jumping around a little bit, but overall, the game changing. It's I think it's it's technology. It's technology, technology, technology. It can be very good for the game. Or it can very, be very bad for the game. There's people that can argue both ways. I can see both ways to some extent. You know, one thing that I'm going to hate to see, though, I'm going to absolutely hate to see this because I'm one of those guys. I don't wow anybody with, I don't wow anybody with my average. I don't wow anybody with my power numbers. I wow people. I'm not, I'm not, this isn't braggadocious or anything, but I wow people by the way I go about my business and, you know, the way I play the game. It's, makeup and i'm scared that teams are going to start overlooking these guys that have great makeup and fall in love with these guys that who knows they could not even care about baseball but have great efforts and that's something that um some teams might fall away from that but some teams like the yankees i think which is why we're so great is because we look into makeup and we appreciate makeup so much and to be honest i think that's why that's a huge reason why i got picked is Based on my makeup and makeup alone, you know. Obviously, I don't. I'm not hitting three four. I didn't hit three forty in college. I didn't hit ten home runs in college. You know, I hit you know two ninety nine my junior year, hit two seventy five my senior year, and hit you know three four bombs each year with right. you know, some doubles. Right. But um, you know, the makeup, the makeup is the most important thing. I don't think I don't think it's um, even taught enough. You know, I don't think it's. I don't even think it gets taught enough. No, I, I, well, it doesn't. It doesn't homers. because from a time a kid is nine years old, winning doesn't really matter. You're playing a lot of travel ball, where it's about getting seen and auditioning, and you know, getting exactly. on the perfect game thing. And you know, I have yeah. I, I have a kid that Don't said, get me started about that. Yeah, I, I, you know, that'll be you'll be on again. I'll have you and Mickey on during <laughs> the season, but. You know, it, it's it, nobody plays to win anymore. And if you don't play to win, how do you develop character and makeup as a player? Well, all you really are doing now is you're you're a soul. You're like a um, you're a contracted worker. You don't really play on the team. The team is there to serve you. And we've commoditized the game where you're just trading like your numbers. Every coach I talk to, it gives me when I ask him if a kid can play and you give me numbers. 
My next question is, yeah, but can he play? You just, all right, yeah. he's got number. Well, that sounds great. All right, yeah. you know, it's like, the, you know, you don't want to date a girl based on her measurements. You'd like to see her, okay? Because yeah. the reality could be very yeah. different from what the picture is you paint in your mind based on that's just great. numbers. It's a great, it's a great analogy, right? Right, okay. So anyway, let's, let's uh, change gears here. Let's get you, I, I want to hear, um, so I'm fascinated uh, by this. I, I, I ask a lot of guys who have played against us, um, what was Harwich like and how were you treated there? I mean, I can't say probably this is how you feel about Brewster, but I mean, I can't say enough good things about Harwich. It's not, um, it's not, but go ahead. It is, it <laughs> is, <laughs> it is, um, it was, I mean, it was such a great experience for me, even being down there for two summers. I live with the famous Mrs. Z, Mrs. Ellsworth, mm-hmm, who, mm-hmm. um, most recently just passed away. So rest in peace to Mrs. Ellsworth. But, um, Amen. Amen. I was very close with her and, um, honestly, she, she, and it, she alone made my experience that much better. Uh, and people don't really know that about her because she kind of flies under the radar and, um, you know, just sits in her chair at the games. But, um, you know, she was so in, influential in my, uh, career down there. And, you know, I, I went through some times to Cape where I struggled and I, you know, my second year, I, I almost hit a breaking point where I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm not getting better here. I'm not doing anything good. I'm playing like crap. I need to go home. I need to, you know, reset, work out and get ready for my senior season. Right. And, and Mrs. E kind of talked me off that. The ledge. The ledge, if you will. Yep. Yep. And she said, she said, no, you are. She said, you aren't doing that. She said, these scouts want to see you grind it out. They don't care how bad you're doing. They want to see you grind it out. And that's exactly what the Cape is. I mean, it is going to, it is going to test you really hard. It is, I mean, you are facing, you're playing at these great ballparks with not, with not the best lights, not the best dirt. Mm-hmm. And, um, you it know, will humble you going to every game with yep. 30 scouts at every game. Yep. So it tests you more than any place ever. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say enough good things. I mean, my first year down the Cape, my team was, I, I don't know how we didn't win at all. It was, it was probably the best team I've ever been on in my entire life with first rounders like Paven Smith, right. Man, Joe Dunan, Jonathan India. Joe Dunan. Um, Joe Dunan, the next A-Rod. But, um, Jeez. yeah, he, uh, so we had a great, we, we really did have a great group of guys with that team. And then my second year, didn't really have the season we wanted, but really good group of guys. And, um, you know, that for me, that summer was great because I got to play literally everywhere, all, all over the infield. That kind of um, showed teams that I could play first base. I could play second, third. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Cape, the Cape set me up for professional baseball. I mean, the Cape set me up for professional baseball. And, um, you know, it got me ready, you know, it, and... Yeah, I couldn't. I, I honestly can't say enough good things about Cape Cod. I, um, I'll be vaca- I'll be vacationing down there after my playing career is over for sure. So. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. Um, by the way, I'm a plus one golf. I played in three state opens. So anytime you want to get on the golf course, okay. Um, Cranberry's my home in the Cape, so maybe we can go there. You got it. You got it. Man, anytime. Uh, all right, we're gonna have all some right. fun. We're gonna play quick pitch. Everybody's played it that's ever been on the show. So you got some pressure on you. I'm going to say something. You're going to give me your first impression. You ready? Okay. All right. What's the last show you binge watched? 
Narcos. Okay. Good. Loved it. Great. Yep. Great show. Loved oh, it. Okay. Pablo Escobar, drug cartel. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Yep. Uh, what's your favorite food? Steak. Okay. You got to come down to New York City. We'll take you to Peter Luger's, Brooklyn. All right, I'm been, there. Been there yeah. for like a thousand years. The greatest steak you'll ever have. Um, right. What? Um, what's your favorite sound? Favorite sound. I mean, how cliche is this? But I absolutely <laughs> love the sound in the cage with um, hitting a wood bat, baseball wood bat. That's all right. Hey, you're a baseball player, man. It's a good response. Yeah, it's a good response. So, not related to you. Not living. Three dinner guests. Three of them, or just or three, just three dinner guests. You get to you get to invite three people who are no longer with us, not relatives of yours. Any three people you could pick, who would they be? Okay. Um, let me think here. Um, Babe Ruth as one. Uh, let me see here. I'm going to go George Washington, just, just because it's George Washington. George Washington. And I will go um, – wow, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to go I'm, – I'm thinking about – see, I already picked my baseball guy, babe, the – the babes. I don't want to go another baseball guy. I'm trying to think of somebody unique here. Um, I got the babe. I got George Washington. And <laughs> I'm going to say I'll go Jackie Robinson. Uh, wow. That's great. Just his birthday, right? Yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah, just just turned 100. Very cool. Very I think cool. that'd be pretty cool to kind of hear about some of his experiences. So. Max, let me tell you something. You were a pain in the ass as a player to play against. You're one of those guys that, you know, I hate that guy, but I wish he was on my team. Um, hey, if you're not hating me, then I'm doing something. I'm doing something wrong. So, <laughs> um, that's what competitors do, though, right? Um, yep. But it was a pleasure to watch you play. I'll get to watch you play again. I'm sure, perhaps this summer. Um, I want you to come back on the show. I'm gonna have you and Mickey. You are a fabulous guest. I, I, uh, I had a, I had a sneaking suspicion you would be as good as you were. Uh, and you did not disappoint at all. You're a really bright kid, and um, Thank you. I wish you uh, good health, all right, and uh, everything you want. And uh, if you ever need anything, like I say to all my guys, I'm always here for you, and I want to thank you uh, and everybody who's listening. Got an awful lot out of this. I want to thank Max Burt for being with us here on The Conversation. Max, you are the man. Thank you. And with Sorry, that... Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Are you kidding? Anytime. You got an open invite. Um, and Perfect. with that... We are going to call it a night as my man, Freddie Mercury and Queen, the greatest 20 minutes in the history of live rock and roll music. Live Aid 1985, baby. Nobody better than the beautiful Freddie Mercury. We are out of here. Mom and dad, love you. Go. Yeah, baby.
Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Um...